0: guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am moving through life this week. How are you? <laughs> That's a way
1: you can say it. Well, we've already been talking for like an hour and a half because we recorded our Patreon episode. Yay. Yay. Yeah, that we did Jailbirds episodes four through six, so that should be up. That will be up by the time you're hearing this. Don't worry. It will be up. So we just got that all finished, and so now we're just exchanging pleasantries because that's what we do on the show. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I usually know how you're doing at all yeah. times anyway. We're, we stay okay, in touch. Okay, that's
1: that's a little <laughs> creepy. It's a little too far.
0: <laughs> so as Melissa said, we just recorded our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash podcast If you are interested in hearing us talk even more about things... Are you? Are you really? (laughs) Look deep inside yourself and ask that question. (laughs) Yeah. So then the other thing we wanted to remind everybody of is that we are going to be off next week, and that will be the only week that we're taking off until, I think, September? Right. But we will remind you guys of that as that time gets closer. But yeah, so next week we won't see you, but we will be back the week after for a new episode. Yay. Yay. So today we're going to be talking about a very close-knit and upstanding family in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and this is the Haynes family. But before we get started on what happened to the Haynes family, we are going to tell you a little bit about Lancaster, Pennsylvania in this week's segment of We Googled This City.
1: The population of Lancaster is 59,700 as of the 2017 census. Yay. The name Lancaster is derived from Lancashire, United Kingdom. I'm going to go ahead and be honest. I'm going to go between Lancaster and Lancaster because that's how my brain works. (laughs) It's symbolized by the red rose from the House of Lancashire. Mandy, did you know that Lancaster was once the capital of the United States of America? No. Yeah, I was like, you knew that? That's crazy. (laughs) So for one day in 1777, the Continental Congress actually met in downtown Lancaster And for that one day, Lancaster was named the capital of the U.S. Wow. Yeah. One day. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Milton Hershey, whose name should be pretty familiar, actually opened his first candy shop in 1866. At the time, it was called the Lancaster Caramel Company. Lancaster has three residents or groups of residents you may recognize, one being Johnny Weir, the two-time Olympian in figure skating. Actress and one of the overall funniest people on the planet, Kristen Wiig, also hails from Lancaster County. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I love her. I adore her. Yeah. And lastly, half the cast of Breaking Amish, which is a reality, mostly scripted show that was on TLC for several years about Amish kids that want to leave their Amish families for a chance to live like the English. Important (laughs) fact to know. Very important. So in closing, this week's Google This City honestly is really all about the facts, Mandy. Literally only about the facts. That's what you guys are here for, right? None of the silly stuff. This week's somber conclusion has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that Lancaster's main newspaper site doesn't allow you to read fun facts about their town without subscribing to their newspaper. And it also has nothing to do with the fact that though I tried several times, I am ultimately terrible at Kristen Wiig impersonations. (laughs) We just (laughs) won this week for, to really teach you something about American history. And I can't emphasize that enough. It has nothing, and I mean nothing, to do with the fact that I could not come up with a single joke to end this segment. Let's get into it.
0: <laughs> so the Haynes family was about as close-knit as a family really could be. This was a family that truly, truly enjoyed each other's company These are people who really did everything together. They could be seen gardening together in their front yard. They would cook meals together. They would have movie nights as a family. So this family consisted of the father, Thomas Haynes, who was 50 years old and was an industrial supply salesman. He was also an avid runner who set many school records at Mannheim Township High School and ran track and cross country throughout college at Slippery Rock University. His wife, Lisa, was 47, and she was a beloved preschool teacher. She loved old movies and reading, but mostly enjoyed spending time with her family. She absolutely lived for being a wife and mother, and that was a role that she really held dear to her heart and thrived in. Their daughter, Maggie, was 20, and she was a sophomore at college, and she attended Bucknell University, which is a private liberal arts college in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, just about an hour southeast of her home in Lancaster. Maggie was a very bright young woman with a cool head and a very sharp mind. She was a budding scientist and she was focusing her studies on biology. She was also a runner and would often train with her father for anything from five K's to something as big as the Boston marathon. Maggie had a brother who was 16 named Kevin, and he was most often described as a bookworm. He was very shy and very, very smart. He had a passion for American and world history, and he wrote for the school paper. He was a Boy Scout working on his Eagle and was looking forward to a trip to Germany that upcoming summer. On May 12, 2007, in the wee hours of the morning, a neighbor of the Hanes was awakened by some desperate pounding on the front door. When they opened the door, they saw Maggie, who was terrified, in shock, and was telling this horrible, horrible story. She had actually just come home from school for summer break two days prior, and she was woken up on this particular night to the sounds of just terrible screaming and fighting going on in her house. The struggle that she was hearing was coming from her little brother Kevin's room. The door was mostly closed, so she couldn't really see what was going on, and she ran down the hall to her parents' bedroom for help. And when she got there, she was absolutely horrified. To see her father laying lifeless on the bed and her mom sitting up at the end of the bed, holding onto her stomach, very obviously hurt and just really as as much with as much force as she could muster was telling Maggie to run out of the house and go get help. Maggie carefully ran past her brother's room and out the front door into a neighbor's house where they called the police.
1: When the police showed up 12 minutes later, they entered the house to an eerie silence. As they began to call out, they realized no one was responding. As they entered the house, they noticed that there was no forced entry, and they immediately encountered bloody shoe prints on the carpet. The shoes looked to be the size and shape that maybe somebody middle-aged, like a middle-aged man would wear. They were those old, like, hush puppies that, like, dads wore in the 90s and 2000s. They were perfect detailed prints coming from upstairs. So following this bloody trail, they first found Kevin, who was dead from stab wounds in the hallway. Because of the amount of blood splatter in the hallway, the police could tell he obviously fought very, very hard against his attacker. Next, they found Thomas Haynes dead from stab wounds in his bed. They think that he was probably killed immediately in his sleep because there were no defensive wounds found on Thomas. While no defensive wounds were actually found on Lisa Haynes either she was found at the end of the bed They think that she probably was getting up and trying to escape when somebody came back in to attack her And that would make sense considering Maggie's story of her yelling at her to get out of the house After surveying the scene they head over to the neighbors to talk to Maggie Haynes who was the only survivor Maggie called her aunt and uncle to come and be with her and the police took her down to the station to take a statement so for one second, Maggie's situation, how horrific to wake up, you're you're asleep through most of this. You wake up and, okay, I don't know about you, but when I wake up, like, I'm pretty awake, but my husband, I swear it takes him 10 minutes to wake up. Like, he does not know what's going on. So I can't imagine this waking up and coming across the scene, like, what's real? What's not? Like, what are
0: you seeing? Oh, my gosh. It's honestly like unfathomable to even think about it. Like this is everybody's worst nightmare is somebody coming into your home, your safe space while you're sleeping and doing and attacking you in that way. And I always think about like things like that, you know, about at night, because I'm the same way. I am a very deep sleeper. And a lot of times when I go to sleep for the night, like I will be out and I really won't even wake up until the morning, you know, not to a point where I can remember waking up throughout the night. And yeah, I, I don't know. I can't even imagine because I am very groggy when I wake up. But just absolutely horrifying like to have something like this happen in your home. Like like I said, I just feel like it's honestly it's everyone's worst nightmare to have something like this happen when you're in the safety yeah. of your own home.
1: You're waking up in a full emergency. Like it's it could not be a worse situation. Yeah, I absolutely can't imagine – just your headspace in that moment. So police observed Maggie telling her version of events and she became pretty stoic and matter of fact. And she said that the family had spaghetti dinner that night, they watched a movie, and then they all headed to bed. Maggie stayed up for a while on her computer and she finally fell asleep around 1 a.m. She said it was just after an hour of being asleep that she was awoken by the sounds of fighting. Just like we said earlier, she went past her brother's room where the fighting was actually taking place and encountered her mother in her parents' room alive, and that's where she was telling her to get help. So somebody was actively being attacked in that room, just making it more horrific. I don't know. Like, I really can't even wrap my mind around this story. When Maggie finished telling police her story, they asked her to type it out on one of their department computers, and before she started typing, she asked investigators how to change the font. At the close of her statement, she wrote, and you know the rest. So police felt that her behavior and stoic nature was just kind of off-putting. They wondered kind of why was she not more upset? Her whole family, who you know they say is super, super close, was just murdered. Why is this girl asking about fonts and stuff? So she also had no injury. How is she the only one that escapes from this house? And, you know, the police have a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions. They have no idea what's going on.
0: So this is something that you hear a lot, though, I feel like in cases where you have really a victim, you know, in this case, Maggie is a victim of this whole entire thing as well. But you hear about this commonly where somebody doesn't have what the police consider an appropriate reaction to a tragedy. And I always just think that's so sad. I mean, I know sometimes that can be a sign that this person, you know, might not be, they might not be reacting appropriately because they've done something wrong, but I feel like it's also just as common that people go into shock and they don't really even know. There's no way in that short period of time that you can process like that your mom, dad, and brother have all been attacked in the middle of the night in your home. I mean, how are you supposed to act? I feel like in that moment, you know, I feel like there's just no textbook way that a person should react necessarily. So I always just get like, It just makes me sad, like thinking about police, you know, being suspicious of people just based on their initial reactions to something like this, you know, shocking.
1: Absolutely. But I guess the idea, especially in this case, is everyone's a suspect. And obviously the first, the people closest to, you know, somebody in murders are always looked at first. And she is the survivor. She's the only one that came out of there with nothing. And she's in the house. It's not like she was staying at a friend's house. She was in there while this is going on. So we're going to get more into this case, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp online counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you.
0: BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house.
1: BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify.
0: Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and & Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for ten percent off your first month, go to betterhelp.com/moms and use discount code moms. It's summertime and the living is easy and delicious. It's all about barbecues and hot dogs and really any food you can eat before it melts. It's easy to inhale the calories while escaping the heat or looking for some source of water. But falling off the wagon doesn't have to mean the end of the road and eating healthy. Noom can help you get back on track.
1: Noom is not a diet, but it is a healthy and easy to stick to way of life. With Noom, no food is good, bad, or off limits. Noom teaches moderation and it can be used in conjunction with many pre-existing or popular diets if you choose to do so. One thing I really like about using Noom is that it has one of the biggest and most accurate food databases available that lets me track my meal habits, visualize my portion sizes, and I can see calorie density at a glance.
0: I really love that with Noom, I can learn to make better choices for myself instead of just following a plan that leaves the decisions to someone else. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash moms. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash moms to start your trial today. That's noom.com slash moms, the last weight loss program you'll need.
1: And now back to the episode.
0: So the police investigating this crime are really stumped, as we said. They have Maggie, who they think They should question a little bit further because they didn't think she was acting appropriately for somebody whose family was just murdered. They were still baffled by the motive that would have been for this crime. There was absolutely nothing taken from the house. Nothing had been rifled through. So they knew that this was not like a robbery or a home invasion situation. And it was clearly a personal attack. While interviewing the family and neighbors, they discovered that this family didn't have any enemies, legitimately. They they didn't even have any financial debt. They were actually truly really, really good people, and they couldn't find any evidence that there was any infidelities or any double lives, and it was just one of those cases where the people that you saw on the outside really matched who they were as people on the inside. They were not hiding anything at all. They also didn't really have any evidence to hold or arrest Maggie, so they turned their attention to what evidence they did have from the scene. They believed that the parents had been attacked first. They were both stabbed in their sleep, and they didn't think that Lisa could have been alive when Maggie had found her because she had no defense wounds. They traced the footprints throughout the house, and they think that the killer lingered in the house a little bit and washed the knife off in a bathroom sink even. They also observed where the footprints, the bloody footprints, didn't go in the house, and the only place in the house that the footprints did not go, was into Maggie's room. They knew that the killer must have worn gloves because there were no fingerprints left anywhere in the house. A blue hat was found at the edge of the woods, not very far from the backyard of the Haynes home. And that hat was kind of an interesting piece of evidence because it was a Washington Nationals hat and it had this Washington Nationals logo on it. But the logo had a piece of duct tape over it to cover it up. So The police were thinking along the lines of, why would you cover up the logo on this hat unless you're worried that somebody would see it and recognize the hat and recognize that that was your hat? The police weren't the only ones that were suspicious of Maggie's lack of injuries and her stoic behavior. The district attorney also found that pretty troubling. She never shed a tear when she was at the police station, and they really could have even described her as being aloof during the whole questioning process. So they wondered if Maggie, you know, even if she wasn't directly responsible for this, did she know more information? They kind of also were thinking, you know, along the lines of maybe she had a boyfriend that her family did not approve of, and maybe, you know, maybe that was a lead that they needed to look into further. Like an Aaron Caffey situation. Right. I mean, and she was, you know, a, a young college student. So it's not like a far fetched theory for them to at least investigate a little bit further.
1: Not when they're looking for anything. There's just no reason for this. Nothing's been taken. Like you were saying, there's, there, why would this happen? You've got to look at all of your options. But my gosh, as somebody who's mourning the loss of her parents, I can't imagine thinking the police could be suspicious of you, you know?
0: Yeah. So the suspicions on her were really high, but one officer actually came to her defense. This was a family friend of the Haynes family, and he had actually known Maggie since she was a child. So he spoke up on her behalf and said, you know what, guys, like this is really, truly just how her personality is. She's very intelligent. She does not show emotion, you know, the way some people might show emotion He said that she was analytical when she was very serious and that she kept a very cool head under pressure. That's not how I am. I feel like that's how you are a little bit.
1: Oh, in the very high pressure things. Yeah, I'm eerily calm. Yeah, I am always terrified when we hear these stories because I'm like, if something happens, I'm going to be suspect number one because I am very like, let's figure out what's going on right now. Let's deal with it. And I'm not. Yeah, I'm very calm. But not like in regular things. I'll fly off the handle over the dumbest (laughs) stuff.
0: So ultimately, the police eliminated Maggie as a suspect, and they didn't think that she had anything to do with the murders of her family. So now they were really back at square one, and they still didn't really have any suspects. They were waiting on the DNA from the hat, but they weren't sure if it was even linked to the crime at all. So they went back and had another look at the crime scene and at the victim's. There was no forced entry into the home and the police wondered if maybe the door was left unlocked and if this was something that the killer would know about this family, if they regularly didn't lock their doors or did this person have some kind of inside knowledge of how to get into this family's home. Right. So they thought maybe this could have been somebody that was actually close to the family, or it could just be a completely random stranger just out on the thrill for murder and looking for an opportunity or an open door. The last, scenario really did not seem that likely, but I mean that it does happen, but it's actually extremely rare that you will have a completely random home invasion just so that they can come in and murder you. If they're going to come into your house, they usually have another reason. Most home invasions, end in in deaths because they actually encountered you and they didn't mean to. Right. They don't really come there to kill you. I mean, it happens, but it's extremely rare for that to be the case. So they couldn't completely rule that out, but that was not something that they really were thinking. They were thinking more like it has to be somebody who knows this family. The investigators checked the national database for crime MOs to see if any other jurisdictions had seen this type of murder that could be linked to the Haynes murders. They didn't find any leads, but they entered the details of the murders into the database. So if any other murders occurred like this one, then they would be contacted.
1: As they continue their investigation, they realize that Kevin actually received the worst of the injuries of of the three. And so that made them think, was he actually the primary target? But really, who would have so much rage towards this really nice and quiet kid that loved books? Police questioned his friends from school and his best friend, Alec Crater, was shocked at the news about his friend and was really surprised that anyone would want to hurt him. Tension was really high and there was a cloud of suspicion that hung over the funeral for the three victims. Family and friends were really all suspicious of each other and people were terrified that somebody in this room could be a killer. There's no motive. It could literally be anyone. And how often do you hear that somebody that's committed a crime goes back to the scene of the crime, like in arson stories or, you know, stories of arson, or shows up at a funeral or something like that, which that has to be hard to even mourn thinking, you know, this person could be here. A few weeks into the investigation, police caught what they thought was a possible break. Two young men had been pulled over for speeding in North Carolina. Their names were Garrett Lovell and Parker McLean. And the officer said when he walked up to them, they appeared to be high. The men started rambling to police about how they had just gotten away with a home invasion murder in Pennsylvania. That's super specific.
0: Yeah, I just don't get that. Like, they just started talking about it, I guess, to this officer, like, unprovoked. They started saying they had done this, this thing.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with using a lot of drugs, but I am very confused on why drugs would make you say this to an officer. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. So police took the men into custody and searched their cars, and they found a sheath knife and a bag of marijuana, and that's really all they found. The officer checked that same system we were talking about earlier that looks for the MOs of these type of things. So they looked for home invasion murders and found a hit, so the officers in North Carolina have found that, you know, there is there was this murder in a home in Pennsylvania and calls the lead investigator and They really are hopeful that they found their killer or killers. detectives asked the officer in North Carolina if he would photocopy the men's shoes and fax it back to them so they could compare it immediately to the shoe print left at the scene. My question in this is always like, do people not own more than one pair of shoes? Maybe guys just wear the same shoes all the time?
0: Yeah, because they could not be wearing the same ones. Yeah, I don't know. On the off chance that they were, then that would be a good thing to have. But yeah, I I mean, just because they weren't a match doesn't mean anything.
1: Yeah, but I thought it was smart detective work to be like, well, while you're while they're there, there's one thing you can do. And so they realized that this would actually be way faster, obviously, than waiting for DNA to come back. To their disappointment, their shoe prints did not match the size or the type of the bloody shoe print that was found in the home. Later, they would find out that these two men were nowhere near Pennsylvania at the time of the murders, and
0: their confessions were really just
1: incoherent ramblings.
0: I just don't even get that though. Why would you say, why would you tell a police officer that you were in a home invasion where people were murdered if that was not true? That is so weird. Yeah,
1: and it's not like the police overheard you talking to somebody joking with your friend somewhere. It's like you're being pulled over and what's the best thing you can say? Let's say that I've murdered somebody. Let's let's bring up this situation that I had nothing to do with. That's just totally insane, which obviously It's great that they looked into it and stuff, but, oh, gosh, people, shut your traps. (laughs) We are going to get into more of this story, but we're going to first take one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Congratulations, you're engaged. Now what? Well, for starters, you can be doing what over 500,000 couples have already done and use Zola to make planning your wedding and registering super easy. I checked out Zola's site the other day, and it's not only really beautiful, it's actually super easy to use. You new brides and grooms have it so easy. Back in my day, there was no easy all-in-one website. We had to snail mail people information and hope they didn't throw it away. And guess what? They always did.
0: When you're newly engaged, it's hard to know where to start, but with Zola, you can create a free wedding website that's so easy it just takes minutes to set up, and you can choose from over 100 wedding website designs that are sure to fit any couple's unique style. You can also add your Zola registry on your wedding website so guests can get the details they need and are able to buy your wedding gift in one convenient and beautiful place. When your registry is easy to use and find, you're 99% less likely to get random beads from your Uncle Job. Plus, your guests will love free shipping and returns, price matching, and more.
1: 12 years ago when I got married, we had guests arriving from all over, including some from out of the country. Because not everyone was from the same area, we had to register at really a ton of different stores so everyone could find something. Zola would have made it so much easier to just register for gifts so anyone could have just hopped online to buy them. Plus, with Zola, you can register for gift cards to your favorite brands like Delta, Southwest, Hulu, Home Depot, and more. Or you can ask for funds for your honeymoon or new home. The possibilities are endless.
0: Zola's website also makes it easy to personalize your wedding website with all your wedding details, including a frequently asked questions, because who wants to tell their uncle that he can't bring his new internet girlfriend as his plus one when you can just direct him to your FAQ. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash moms. Again, to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash moms.
1: It's summertime, and while the sunny days are beautiful, they are so much longer. I need to keep my energy up, but it's not always easy. But that's why I love my Care-of vitamins. Not only are they personalized for me and my needs, taking them is easy peasy.
0: Here's how it works. First, I took a really fun quiz on Care-of by simply answering questions about my diet, health goals, and my lifestyle choices. The quiz only took me about five minutes and I was able to find my personal, scientifically backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. And care can help you whether you're looking for energy, better sleep, or something else that can help you feel your healthiest. Care-of subscription services make it so easy to get vitamins, protein powders, and more personalized just for you and delivered straight to your door. Another reason I love the quiz is that it can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care-of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest.
1: Care of delivers daily vitamin and supplement packs all customized to your recommendations. So you're only taking what you really need. Plus your name is on the packs along with a quote or joke to start your day off on the right foot. I'm super weird. So I like throwing my vitamins in the bag and not reading the quotes until I reach my hand in to get them. It's one of the last surprises I get as an adult. If you're vegan or vegetarian, don't worry care of didn't forget about you their vegan and vegetarian supplement options are available to match your dietary needs and to ensure you're getting the nutrients you need for those specific diets
0: for 25 off your first care of order go to takecareof.com and enter moms again for 25 off your first care of order go to take of.com and enter the code moms now back to the episode So weeks have gone by and they have not figured out who is responsible for this horrific murder of this, this very sweet family. The tensions in the community were really starting to run high and police were receiving tons of tips every day. Neighbors were turning on each other and reporting each other. Grandmothers were even calling and reporting their own grandsons. And on June 5th, Kevin's best friend, Alec Kreider, was committed to Philhaven Hospital for an attempted suicide, and he was going to be treated for his depression. On June 12th, police received an anonymous tip that Alec Kreider was running around talking about how he was so happy that he could get away with murder. A short time later, another anonymous tip came into the police station saying that Alec Kreider had actually confessed to these murders. Keep in mind, this is... Kevin's best friend. He's a friend who's been in their home and mm-hmm. was acting very sad, you know, af- right after these murders happened. And now they're getting this anonymous tip saying that he is confessing to. Killing his friend and his parents.
1: He was even on the bus, like within a couple days of the murders, like talking to one of the girls in his class and saying how sad he was about the murders and she was consoling him and he was saying how terrible he felt. So he was really like seemed to be super emotional and broken up about this. So it wasn't crazy that he has this, you know, breakdown and is put into the hospital
0: As it turned out, the anonymous source who told the police about this confession was actually a pretty credible source. The tip actually came from Alec Crater's own father. He had turned his son into the police and told them what he had confessed, and apparently he had confessed this to his counselor and to his parents while he was in the hospital. So
1: he's telling his counselor, you know, I did this thing and the counselor brings his parents in and goes through the whole thing He says, you know, I went into their house I initially was going to suffocate kevin with a pillow But then he started fighting back and then I had to stab him and I didn't know maggie was there You know, she was supposed to be in college. I had no idea, you know, if he would have known He would have killed maggie too, which is just mind-blowing but Tim Kreider, he had this information and he waited two days to tell the police, which I don't blame him at all because he knows once you – I have chills even saying this – once he tells the police it's over, like his son's life is over, yes, these other people lost their life horrifically, but the only thing he can control now is his son's fate and just having those two days. Can you imagine just – you know, and you know I love rules, and you know I want to follow the rules. But I 100% understand why he would say he needed a little bit of time. But he wanted a chance to tell his son that he had told the police. He didn't want the police to be the, you know, just go and arrest him. He wanted to actually tell his son that, you know, he turned him in. He tells his dad where to find the knife, and his dad actually went into his dresser, got the knife out, put it on the kitchen table, and told the police, you know, hey, this is where you're going find, to find the knife. Just... Having to do these things as a parent, you know, just hearing this stuff and you always think like, I don't know, I've, have we talked about this before where like you say, I, that would never happen. I would never do that. My kid would never do that. Honestly, you don't know that. None of us know that. No,
0: I know. You hope
1: your kid would never do something like this, but you don't know. And you don't know what your reaction would be. It's very easy to be Monday morning quarterback and stuff like this. But yeah, I always think that with this, like. Before I had my son, I thought my daughter could do no wrong for a while there. And then I had my son and realized <laughs> you have no control. I mean, you have a certain amount of control, but your kid's ultimately going to make their decision. And the last thing I'm going to say about this is the officers were actually saying – yeah, and in, in these kind of cases, 85% of the time, somebody is a loner because this guy, Alec, was a loner. There they are these things, but 15%, they're social. They're doing all these things. There are no signs whatsoever. So not to sleep with one eye closed, but I think it is important to know, like, I just felt bad for his parents, too. There's so many victims in this story, and for no reason. Mm.
0: Yeah. Alec Kreider was arrested on June 16, 2007, and he was charged with three counts of criminal homicide. As this case was preparing for trial, a plea deal was reached one year and one day after Kreider's arrest. He pled guilty to three counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. He was not eligible for the death penalty due to a U.S. Supreme Court ruling, which states that it is unconstitutional to impose capital punishment for crimes committed while under the age of 18. On January 20th, 2017, Alec Crater died by suicide in his prison cell just as his case was being reviewed. They were actually reviewing his case because there was another U.S. Supreme Court ruling that stated that mandatory sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole are not constitutional for juvenile offenders, so they were kind of taking another look at his case to see if his, I guess, if his sentence his you know, his consecutive life sentences were going to stand. Kreider never spoke to the investigators or to the court about any of this. He never gave a motive for the killings. He never gave a statement to, to submit, you know, into the record, and everything that he knew about this crime or why he committed it died along with him which just was so heartbreaking of course for this family you want to see the person responsible for something like this brought to justice and you want to have answers and when you know they take their own lives like they take that from you you're never going to get you know you're, there's no possible way you're ever going to get any answers at that point so that was really sad just and and for his family you know his parents they've already suffered so much as well and this is just a really terrible, sad story all around. Honestly, there's so, like you said, there's so many lives and they were affected and ruined by by right. this. Through Alex's confessions to the hospital counselor and the confession that he gave to his father, he did tell how the crime actually occurred. He said that he thought the Haynes family would be easy targets because their home was always unlocked. He said that he killed the parents first and then he killed his friend Kevin. And he went back to finish the parents off and then he washed the knife and ran out the back door of the house, losing his hat in the woods just behind the house where the police found it. He said that he did not kill Maggie, as we said, because he did not know she was back from school yet and he didn't even know that she was in the house. They did find journal entries after Kreider's death that stated that he had a want and a need to kill people, and he admitted to having murderous thoughts on a frequent basis. Another entry described how he despised happy people. He, you know, he was so tormented internally that he, it angered him to see other people be living a happy life and being happy as this Haines family was.
1: There was one journal entry that said – or this letter that his parents, I believe, found in his room that said on May twelfth, two 2007 at 3 o'clock a.m. or something like that, Alexander Kreider was born. So he never went by Alexander even though that was his full name. He went by Alec and it was kind of like this murder was his rebirth and this is – now he's this new person which is super upsetting that he kills these people, comes home and is like – now I'm a new person and, you know, this is where I start my life. So did we mention this is sad? Because it's really, really sad. Just all the way yeah, around.
0: It's it's horrific. It really is a, just an absolutely horrific story. The Lancaster County DA was interviewed by the Washington Post and said that he felt Alec Crater was a true pathological killer and that he was definitely one of the most frightening and evil people that he'd ever prosecuted and said that killing energized this, you know, this person. Alec's father, Tim, went on to write a book called Refuse to Drown, A Father's Unthinkable Choice, and it's a book about the painful decision of turning in his teenage son to the police and the years of tormenting himself over his son's crimes. This is a quote from his father. It says, I got caught on the downward spiral of blame and insecurity, wondering what I could have done to keep Alec from doing what he did. There was a constant voice in my head asking me, where did I fail? Oh my gosh, I just... I know. You can't even imagine it. Like you said, as a parent going through something like this, it is just so heartbreaking all around. There's just so many people I just want to give hugs to from the story. I know.
1: And his talking about it reminds me of Did you ever see the TED talk with Sue Klebold? She's the mom of Dylan Klebold, who was one of the two shooters in Columbine. And it's very similar, like, the sur- not survivors guilt so much, but they have so much remorse. they can't even really grieve for their kid because there's almost guilt for grieving for your kid because these people have lost lost their kid at the hands of your kid. Like, what on earth? like how do you make that, you know, figure that out in your brain? So I really want to check out that book. That sounds really interesting and heartbreaking, but I don't know. I, I just feel for that family so much. I feel for both families a lot.
0: I do too. I know. I tried to see if I could find anything more current about how Maggie is doing now. And I'm assuming she's just laying low and living her life the best that she can. So there wasn't really any information on her, but she definitely deserves her privacy after everything she's been through. So I didn't dig too far.
1: Yeah. So we're going to get into our last thing before we go, before we do that. Thank you so much, Mary Jane, with your help with researching this case. We appreciate all you do. So Mandy, our first last thing before we go question. It's from Devin W. What
0: word do you hate when people say it? What you got? I have so many. (laughs) I'm a word person and I honestly, there are a few words that really irritate me. Most of them are because they are not even words or they're, somebody is using an incorrect phrase, but my, well, the one that really grates the nerves is irregardless. Ooh, yeah. Irregardless is not a word. I'm sorry if this is upsetting news to you because maybe you use the word irregardless, but it is just regardless. Irregardless is not even a word. So that's one that kind of grates the nerves. And then Although, you know, I'm like not even one to talk. I have people write us all the time and say like that I say things incorrectly, like on a weekly basis. Oh, yeah. We get
1: these all the time. So (laughs) I'm you're coming at this a little more judgy than we probably should. We should probably say we totally understand. Don't worry. And if you want to say it irregardless, just say it irregardless. Don't let people write comments about you. But really don't. Don't. Don't don't. don't do that.
0: Don't do that. It's not a word. (laughs) Do you have any other ones? So the other thing I hate, it's not really a word, and it's really – and I know that this is a legitimate phrase. It's just one that I don't like because I feel like you stop talking in the middle of a sentence. Okay. So you know when somebody has an accident or they're sick or they're, you know, whatever, and they're unconscious, and then, like, the phrase came to or coming to or to come to? Yeah. I hate it so much because I feel like there should be something after that. Like, came to what? Like, I, I don't oh. know. I just don't like that phrase. It doesn't – I don't feel like it makes sense to me. It feels like you're stopping mid-sentence and, like, not completing your thought, even though I know that it is an actual phrase and it has an actual meaning and – Well, crap. That's going to bother me now. Yeah. I don't know. It just always has. I've never liked that. It just just bothers me. I don't know.
1: That's pretty good. I did not know I should be bothered with that, and now that's going to bug me too. So
0: thanks for doing that one. Got any more? (laughs) Any more ways to ruin my life? I have another one, but I want to see what you say.
1: Well, if the top of your list isn't supposedly versus supposedly, then we're doing the internet (laughs) wrong. That is one that I I have heard people say it, but I see people write it probably more, supposedly. And I have a hard time taking somebody seriously when that's the first word they use. I'm like, well, I'm kind of tuning out the rest of it. But this is somebody who uses whenever whenever
0: I want. I was (laughs) going to mention whenever.
1: (laughs) I apparently
0: say whenever,
1: when I mean when, and we've definitely been told about that. I would love to say I'm going to change. Multiple
0: times, multiple people. Okay. Laura Norton of the fall line. She says it's just the most Florida thing that we do. We say the word whenever. My friend, Sarah has also said that to me and she's very smart and like, you know, writes, you know, she does that kind of thing for a living and like, she's just in that world. So she knows I guess better than us too. But yeah, people have said that. And then somebody just wrote us an email recently and they were like, stop saying whenever. Like I am going to stand by that though. Whenever is a word, maybe we're not using it in, not the, using it in the right context, context but mm. um, I don't know how to stop. Okay. I don't know <laughs> when I'm using it correctly or incorrectly. So I don't know how to stop doing it. And I am, I'm just going to say whenever, I don't know. That's just something that we do Yeah. here in Florida, I guess. Blame yeah. it on Florida. Yeah.
1: you Blame everything else on Florida. Blame that on Florida. So I'm not going to stop. Person that wrote us, I'm really sorry. I think I told you in the email <laughs> I was going to stop, but I don't think I'm going to be able to, but that's okay. I, I do. I will try to make a better choices in my head, but this is, I don't edit as much as you think I should be editing. I should be taking all of our mistakes out, but we're real people. So here we go. My other two words, they're not like yours. They're like words I just hate the word moist. We all hate that word and even saying uh. it made me feel gross. And then the other one, lover. You know my feelings on that one. <laughs> What's the Liz Lemon joke? I hate that word. It bums me out unless it's between meat and pizza. And <laughs> that's the only time you yeah. should use the word lover. <laughs> but yeah, I don't those words every time I hear them I just kind of like just my face kind of makes a whole thing. I and I never want to hear somebody talk about their lover. That is not okay with me. I I get it. I get what you do. I don't need to hear about it.
0: okay are you all done melissa with i mean i could go
1: all day but i i don't want any emails because i think i said lancaster wrong and that's going to be a whole thing so let's keep going
0: (laughs) okay so lucy d wants to know what is our thing that we cook or bake perfectly or that we just desire to
1: okay so i wouldn't say perfectly but i'm a decent baker not Farron. You
0: actually are. I will give you that.
1: Thank you so much. Farron (laughs) in our Facebook group, one of our lovely mods and wonderful people. She is an amazing baker. My friend Rhonda is the craziest, greatest baker I know. But I can make a really, really, really good homemade uh, carrot cake. And I the key is putting pineapple in it. And it's so yes, it is so good. And so that M word that I hate, it really is that M word that I hate. It's so (laughs) perfect. I love it so much. And that's like one thing I'm like, this is what I bring to the table. I'm pretty sure the only reason my husband doesn't leave me is because I can make a carrot cake. That's not true. He doesn't even like it. I don't know why he's still around, to be honest. (laughs) I bring nothing to the table. What about you, Mandy? Mandy is like a famous chef. Is that right? Coastal chef. <laughs> so famous. <laughs> I mean, famous according to your, your heart, maybe. Yeah, yeah, there
0: you go. According to who? No, literally no one. Your, I Facebook, just like photos, I your Facebook photos, your Facebook
1: photos, <laughs> they're like spread out like perfection. You know, I know you're taking know. a napkin and there's like garnishes and stuff, and my carrot cake's I like do. toppling over and just I stuffing do, yeah. it with pineapple.
0: Yeah, no, I've mentioned on the show before that I do love to cook and I like good food and my my mom's family, like side of the family is really, really good cooks, all of them. But yeah, that's a silly hobby I have. It's like one of the silliest hobbies I have actually is that I will cook up these like elaborate meals and stuff and then plate them as if I'm taking like a restaurant menu photo. <laughs> it's so like then I do and then sometimes I share my beautiful food photos And I don't really care who thinks it's weird. I think they are beautiful. It's a silly hobby.
1: But when I see parsley just sprinkled to the side, I just think, no one's eating that, Mandy. No
0: one's one's eating that little piece of thing you just put right there. But it's very pretty. Uh, Maybe they will. But it is very pretty, right? So anyway, so that's just something I like to do. It's just another creative outlet for me. You know I'm always looking for creative outlets, like, all the time. I do all kinds of weird stuff. List them, because I'd like to know what they are. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, what is something you think I cook perfectly?
1: Oh, I don't know because I feel like whenever I go to your house, it's the whole dinner party from the office and I sit around and I'm starving to death by the time it happens.
0: (laughs) Melissa, the only answer for this question for me is meat pie. (laughs) Oh,
1: you're right. Well, I wouldn't know because I'm never going to try it. There's just – it's not going to happen.
0: I'm not going to do it. It's so good and you just – the secret is the pepper. You put in as much pepper as you think you need and then you put a little more and so it has a little kick to it. And it's just so delicious. So I cook meat pie perfectly, and this is now the second time we've spent minutes of your time talking about meat pie. We're gonna get more negative reviews about this, I'm sure.
1: If your secret ingredient is pepper, and I can buy it for forty five <laughs> cents, that is not enticing whatsoever. You're telling it me. does sound good. Pepper, to you, but it's so good. I thought you were gonna say like brazen pork or something, but no, Ew, pepper. No don't boo me pepper is your secret ingredient I can't take this this room is it's so the hot right now to making a
0: perfect meat pie but anyway no I'm not a baker I am I'm just ai just like to cook so I really I'll leave the baking up to you and then I'll just cook whatever you want I'm good at cooking leave the baking to someone else but I if you want a carrot cake I can make you a carrot cake
1: but you don't want one so it doesn't matter I sure don't <laughs> we're a really good pair <laughs>
0: I don't want your meat pies and you don't want my carrot cakes we should take this on the road So that was it for this week. Those were some really good last thing before we go questions. Like I said, we'll be out next week. There will be no new episode. So look for us the week after next. I don't have a calendar in front of me. It'll be,
1: we'll be back July 16th.
0: Perfect. Yes. We'll be back July 16th.
1: And before we go, we are going to be playing the promo for a, mystery podcast and it's called azka's mystery podcast this is really an incredible podcast it's by a five-year-old girl you'll have to listen to the promo but um it's part of with make a wish she wanted to create her own mystery podcast and so that is the promo we're playing thank you tyler from minds of madness for introducing azka to us i'm so excited about it it's super awesome so cute yeah yeah so that's what's going to happen next and then you're going to turn us off and listen to somebody else and that's okay we respect you for that. But listen to Aska's Mystery Podcast. That's what you should listen to next.
0: All right, guys. We'll see you two weeks. Bye. Bye. My name is Aska. Aska Sharif. I am five
1: years old. I am in kindergarten at Stevenson School in Des Plaines. And I am doing a podcast on a story I wrote. The name is the Stealer of the Diamond.
0: Listen to this episode of Azka's Mystery Podcast, written and created by five-year-old Azka. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast.